Uh, well, friends, I don't know how you feel when uh, strangers hand you a leaflet on the streets offering you something amazing. But a while back, uh, a London newspaper called the Evening Standard conducted an experiment. Uh, what they did was they got a man to stand in front of uh, a station to hand out leaflets. Uh, on the leaflet was the offer of five pounds, uh, which is roughly equivalent to 10 Australian dollars, to anyone who would uh, bring the leaflet back to the man. Uh, apparently, there were literally thousands of people who walked past the man and took this leaflet. However, in three hours, only 11 people came back for the money. Uh, why would so few people come back for the money, do you think? Uh, well, perhaps some people were too proud uh, to come and ask uh, for the money, which was being offered for free. Uh, you know, when someone makes a generous offer to you, it usually takes some humility to receive their generosity, doesn't it? Or perhaps some people thought it was too good to be true. Uh, you know, we live in a world that is based on merit and earning your own way. And so when we hear about things like this, something being offered for free, then we might assume that it's too, that it's too good to be true. Uh, and we can become sceptical. However, the idea of grace is fundamental to understanding the Christian faith. Uh, grace is undeserved and unmerited and unearned favour. Uh, the good news of Christianity is that salvation is not something you earn for yourself through your good works or your religiosity or your moral decency, but rather it is a gift of God that comes to us through his astonishing kindness and generosity and mercy to us. And so the way to receive salvation is simply to come to God with, with open hands, knowing that you have nothing to offer God but simply relying on his kindness to you. Uh, last week, if you remember, we saw the example of a rich young man who needed God's grace, didn't we? Uh, he simply couldn't enter heaven based on his moral decency. He couldn't earn his way in. Rather, he needed to rely on God's grace, which was made available at the cross. And yet the tragedy of this man is that uh, he loved his money so much. He loved his money more than God himself that he was unwilling to let go of his dependence on money in order to depend on God's grace for his life instead. Uh, that's why he walks away from Jesus sorrowful and tragically misses out on eternal life. Uh, now, in today's passage, Jesus continues this theme of grace and I'm sure you could see this as we read the parable of the landowner uh, who hires these laborers for his vineyard in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, uh, which was just read to us. However, uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, just open that up to, to chapter 20. And uh, I want you to see there that the chapter division at the beginning of chapter 20 is an unfortunate one made by our Bible translators because the word for 
that begins chapter 20, verse 1, suggests that this parable of, of the landowner is actually an explanation of the previous verse in chapter 19, verse 30. And the word but that begins chapter 19, verse 30, means that it is linked to the previous verses in verses 27 to 29. In other words, the parable of the landowner is not a new section uh, in Matthew's Gospel, but really a part of Jesus' answer to Peter's question in, in chapter 19, verse 27, where he asked Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And so, friends, I want to suggest that today's passage about grace is actually addressed to committed disciples. Committed disciples like Peter, who have counted the cost of following Jesus, who have left everything behind to, to follow this man. You, you see, it's not simply unbelievers like the rich young man who, who are in need of God's grace, but it is actually committed disciples as well who have made sacrifices to follow Jesus, who need God's grace as well. For like Peter, I'm guessing that all disciples, like you and me, from time to time, ask this very question about whether following Jesus will be worth it in the end. Have you ever asked that question of yourself? If you've been a committed uh, disciple of Jesus for a while, if you've given up uh, things in your life to follow him, have you ever wondered um, in your own private moments, uh, is this all worth it? How then does Jesus answer Peter's question and concern? Uh, well, you can see there that Jesus comforts Peter by saying that any sacrifice that he has made uh, in following Jesus will be far outweighed by the reward he will receive. Any cost that he has paid will be far outweighed by the reward he will receive. Uh, notice that he firstly addresses the reward that the apostles, uh, people like Peter, will receive. And you can see it there in chapter 19, verse 28. Uh, 19, verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world... When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, the phrase, the new world, uh, is literally the regeneration uh, in the original language. Uh, Jesus is speaking here of a world that is regenerated, that is made new. He's speaking about the new heavens and the new earth, or, or heaven itself. That is to come. But the astonishing thing here is that not only will Jesus rule in this new world, but he will share that rule with his 12 apostles. Not only will Jesus sit on his glorious throne, but notice that the 12 apostles themselves will sit on 12 thrones, ruling over God's people who are the new Israel. Uh, the word judge that you see there is used in the sense of ruling, uh, which is often the way it's used in the Bible, rather than in the sense of condemning. However, notice that the idea of extravagant reward uh, is not just limited to the apostles. For Jesus goes on to say that every disciple, 
Every disciple who has made sacrifices in order to follow him will be richly rewarded. Uh, in, in chapter 19, verse 29, uh, notice that he says there, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Uh, Now, I've got to say that some Christian people can feel a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of rewards uh, in the Bible. I don't know whether uh, you've ever felt like that. Um, And I think it's because the idea of rewards can seem opposed to the idea of undeserved grace. Um, It can seem like salvation by works, in other words. You know, if if I make certain sacrifices now for the sake of following Jesus, then uh, God will, you know, um, reward me in the end. I'll be able to earn uh, that reward with all the rewards of heaven later. However, I just want want us to see that that is not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, He's not saying that if you make certain sacrifices in your life now to follow Jesus then God will make sure that you have an equal amount uh, of blessing in heaven because you've earned it. Rather, he's saying that whatever sacrifices you have made in following Jesus in the here and now will be far outweighed by what you will receive, not only now, but in the world to come. It's not that you will earn these things by your sacrifice, but it's that On that last day, when you find entry into heaven, you will simply be amazed and astonished at how much you will receive from God's gracious hand. Uh, It was Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, who once said that he had never succeeded in in giving anything up for God. For every time he gave up anything for God, he found so much blessing that he felt himself better off every time, rather than worse off for having given up whatever it was, you see. I think lots of Christian people can testify to to this being true. But friends, uh, the other thing about rewards is that there are alien rewards and appropriate rewards. And so, for example, uh, I have uh, two daughters who are learning to play the piano at the moment, And uh, like many parents, my wife and I find it really difficult to get our daughters to practice their instrument. Uh, Now, we know that there is one sure way to get them to practice the piano. Do you know what it is? Uh, Well, we can bribe them. Uh, We can bribe them by saying that if they practice piano, then they will get to watch an hour's worth of television. Uh, Guaranteed to work. But you see, that is a very alien reward, isn't it? Because what does watching television have to do with playing the piano, (laughs) you see? Now, the appropriate reward for practicing the piano is the sheer enjoyment that you will one day get from being able to play effortlessly, like Shane. (laughs) And so notice here that the reward Jesus speaks about is not simply material rewards, uh, although uh, that, is, that is part of the picture here, for heaven is a physical reality. But the focus is on the far more appropriate and valuable reward 
of relationships. As one commentator put it, the, the reward is not piles of money or mansions with pools and Ferraris, but the reward is knowing God as our Father and Jesus as our brother and other brothers and sisters that we share relationships with in God's family, uh, who are an enormous blessing to us, not only in the here and now, but also uh, in the new world. Uh, I mean, I don't consider myself as having made huge sacrifices for the sake of the gospel or for the sake of Jesus, but uh, I can say that God has indeed provided me not only with a wonderful right relationship with him, but with so many people, uh, both in our church and outside of our church, who care for me like fathers and mothers, and who encourage me like brothers and sisters, and relate to me like uh, my very own children, in ways that I cannot measure, and in ways that will endure into the next world. Has that been been your experience uh, of the Christian life? Uh, Now, all genuine disciples pay a cost in following Jesus, don't they? Uh, I was reading the prayer letter of one of our CMS missionaries the other day, uh, who has left behind uh, their wealth and their comfort in Sydney to live in substandard accommodation by Sydney standards uh, with their uh, young baby daughter. Uh, They're living in a Muslim-majority country at the moment. Uh, in order to give their lives to tell people about Jesus. They've certainly paid a cost, haven't they? They have literally left houses and family members behind to serve Jesus. But it's not just overseas missionaries. Uh, Some of us pay the relational cost of being ridiculed by non-Christian family members whenever we bring up the topic of Jesus with them. Uh, I know that to be true for uh, some of you at least. Others of us pay the relational cost of not being included in the in crowd at work because you know, the people know that you're on about Jesus and they don't think that you quite fit in with them. Others of us give our time and energy and money towards the work of proclaiming the name of Jesus uh, in many different ways. Now, you see, all disciples pay a cost for speaking the name of Jesus. And you may have wondered, is it all worth it? Well, if that's you this morning, I want you to see the comfort uh, of God's grace here. Whatever you have given up for my sake, says Jesus, whatever sacrifices you have made in the work of proclaiming him, at whatever cost you have borne, you will receive a hundredfold, and not only in this life, in this world, but in the world to come, says Jesus. Well, friends, uh, we've seen Jesus speaking about the comfort of grace. However, I want you to see that that's not all Jesus wants to say to his committed disciples here. For notice that in the final part of our passage this morning, Jesus also offers a warning in this parable of the landowner who goes out and hires labourers for his vineyard. Uh, Now, the parable itself is not too difficult to understand, is it? Uh, You have this landowner who hires labourers for his vineyard, uh, presumably the grapes 
uh, in his vineyard are ripe for picking, and so he needs uh, many laborers to, to pick the fruit for him. And so he goes out at the crack of dawn and hires some laborers to do the work, and he agrees with these laborers that, that he's going to pay them a denarius for a day's work, which was uh, the going rate for manual labor uh, in, in those times for, for, for a day's work. Uh, notice that these are not salaried workers, but they are day workers. In other words, uh, it seems as though they, they don't have permanent work, but they need to look for work from day to day. Uh, it's a bit like uh, how in the Depression era, I'm, I'm told, uh, you had men uh, lining up uh, around the docks of Sydney looking for a day's work, unloading the ships in order to feed their families. However, it seems here that there is such an abundance of work available in picking fruit that the landowner proceeds to hire four other groups of people uh, throughout the day. And so we're told that at the third hour, uh, which is 9 a.m. in our time, because uh, the Jews started to count their hours from dawn, uh, which was 6 uh, 6 a.m. And so at 9 a.m., the the landowner goes out to to the marketplace and he hires another group of laborers, promising them fair pay. Again, he does the same thing at the sixth hour, uh, which is 12 noon, and the ninth hour, which is uh, 3 p.m., and also the eleventh hour, which is 5 p.m. We're not told exactly why the landowner would hire someone so late in, in the day. I mean, these last group of laborers could only work for about an hour before the sun would go down. Uh, Further, you might have noticed that in verse 7 that this last group of workers uh, were probably the the poorest uh, workers or the most ineligible workers because they were the ones that no one else wanted to hire. They were the rejects, in other words. Perhaps it was because there was still some fruit to be picked. Perhaps it was the landowner's compassion. Uh, We're not told. But he hires even this group of people to do some work for him. But friends, what happens at the end of the day when it's time to be paid? Well, I want you to notice that in this passage, we are only told of the payment that comes to the last group of workers and the first group of workers. And astonishingly, when the landowner orders his manager to pay the workers, uh, it is the the last group that gets called first, and they are not simply given one-twelfth of a denarius, which is what they deserved for their one hour's worth of work, but they are given a full day's wage. I mean, can you imagine what these workers would have felt. You know, as they lined up for their pay, they were probably stricken with worry about what they would say to their wife and their hungry children, given that they've only worked for an hour. And yet imagine their disbelief as the manager puts a full day's pay in their hands. And imagine the delight as they go home that night with a bag full of groceries and are greeted by their families. But you see, this is the grace of God, isn't it? 
The landowner here is meant to symbolize God himself in all his graciousness. And the work of the vineyard is meant to symbolize the cost involved in following Jesus and doing his work of proclaiming the gospel. Uh, The image of the vineyard in the Old Testament, as we've seen, is used to portray the nation of Israel, who were God's people. And so uh, the work uh, here is about proclaiming the name of Jesus in order to grow God's people. And yet the astonishing thing here is that God is willing to use even the rejects who have nothing to offer in order to be a part of his kingdom and a part of his work, you see. And so, friends, there may be some of you here this morning and you are someone who doesn't know this God that the Bible speaks about. You might be feeling like a reject because, well, you know that you have nothing to offer God and you know that the life that you have lived won't be pleasing to God. But I want you to see very clearly this morning God's willingness to be gracious and kind and generous and compassionate towards those who are undeserving. In fact, the great news of the Bible is that God is so gracious and so kind and so compassionate that he sent his only son to die on the cross for undeserving people like you and me. So that anyone who comes to him with empty hands will be forgiven of their sin and rebellion and welcomed into his kingdom and given the privilege of working for God himself. And so if you do not know God this morning, uh, will you come to him uh, with empty hands Uh, ready to follow Jesus and receive from from him uh, this extraordinary gift of forgiveness and of life. But here's the thing, friends. Did you notice that the focus of this parable is not actually on the last group of laborers, but it's actually on the first group of laborers and their response when everyone is paid. Well, when they see the last group receiving a full day's wage or a denarius for hardly working at all, well, they expect that they themselves will be paid much more because, well, they have, frankly, worked much more. However, when they are paid exactly the same as the last group of workers, notice that they perceive an injustice and uh, they begin to grumble against the landowner. Uh, In uh, verse 12, they say, these last people, uh, they've worked only for one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Uh, Now, I wonder whether you sympathize uh, with the first group of workers here. Uh, I think it's quite natural for us to think this way, because we live in a world that is based on merit. Uh, You know, our children go to schools where every time they do something good, they they get a little star on on the star chart. And the more stars they they build up, uh, the greater the reward becomes. But it's not just in our schools, is it? Uh, Our workplaces are the places of uh, annual performance evaluations and big bonuses based on how we've performed This is the way of the world. 
But what does the landowner say? Well, he says in verse 13, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. In other words, there has been no injustice done because this is what we agreed upon in the first place. This is what you have signed up to. However, notice that the landowner then asks uh, two very probing questions. Uh, Firstly, in verse 15, he asks, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? In other words, the landowner is not actually obligated to show grace to everyone any more than I am obligated to give a Christmas gift to everyone that I know. That's just not how grace and generosity and kindness works, is it? It's the choice of the one who shows the grace. It cannot be demanded. And secondly, in the same verse, Jesus asks, or do you begrudge my generosity? Uh, The sentence literally reads, or is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? Which may seem a little bit strange, but the evil eye in the Jewish way of speaking was actually about jealousy, turning your eye and being jealous at the other person. And so what Jesus is saying here, uh, so what Jesus is asking here rather is, Are you jealous because other people are receiving grace? Uh, Friends, could it be that even committed disciples of Jesus can be jealous when God shows grace to other people who we don't think deserve it? Uh, To give us a, a little bit of a test... I want you to imagine a non-Christian person you know who you find very, very, very difficult to get along with. Um, Everyone have a picture in mind? We We all have at least one of these people in our lives. Uh, Perhaps it's someone in the office who is just nasty or patronizing or lazy and they just rub you up the wrong way. Or perhaps it's a family member who has done something uh, awful in your family that has brought uh, great shame upon your family. Or perhaps it's just that person who is overly sensitive and prickly and just keeps on making your life very difficult all the time. Uh, Now I want you to imagine that one day uh, you see them walking into church. Uh, You're astonished and surprised that someone like them Uh, could find themselves in a church. But they not only show up at church, but uh, they hear about the grace of God in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as the minister preaches an unusually good sermon that week. And uh, they decide to follow Jesus and uh, they end up receiving eternal life. I mean, how would you feel about that? Would you rejoice? Or would you grumble? Would you celebrate God's grace? Or would you think an injustice has been done? 
Perhaps you are someone who's been a committed Christian person for many years, and perhaps even a, a committed uh, member of uh, this church for many years. But over the years, you've, you've seen uh, a steady stream of new people coming into church, and uh, you've seen them grow in their faith uh, by God's grace, and they are now the ones who seem to be more recognized at church than you. They're the ones who are uh, being held up as leaders and, and so forth. Do you rejoice and encourage these brothers and sisters, or do you grumble inside? Do you celebrate God's grace, or do you think an injustice has been done? You see, friends, this is a great warning to committed disciples of Jesus about presuming God's grace for yourself, but begrudging God's grace when it is shown to others, isn't it? Uh, How can we tell that this is a a bit of a warning? Well, I think it's because Jesus summarizes what he's talking about uh, in in our passage very, very clearly and very helpfully. Um, And so uh, you might have noticed that back in chapter 19, verse 30, he summarizes the first section by saying, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Uh, What he's saying is that those uh, who are like the rich young ruler, who want to be first in status in this world, uh, over and above God, will be last. Uh, on on the day of God's judgment. But those who have made themselves last in this world have come to God uh, not seeking status with empty hands in order to follow Jesus will be actually first on that last day for they will be rewarded beyond their imagination. And so this is the comfort of God's grace, you see. But the striking thing is that Jesus ends the second section by switching this order around. Did you notice that? Uh, in, In verse 16 of chapter 20, he says, So the last shall be first, and the first last. In other words, the warning here is that other people who have experienced God's grace will be first. They'll be welcomed into God's kingdom. But if you presume upon God's grace... If you insist on being first above others because you think others are undeserving, then make sure that you are not last on that last day. And this is the warning of grace. It is a warning against presuming upon God's grace for yourself and not wanting God's grace for others. And so... Brothers and sisters, will you not only be comforted uh, by, by God's extraordinary grace this morning, but also warned so that we might be people who celebrate God's grace as his people, and especially when we see God's grace being poured out upon others uh, around us, and particularly on those whom we least expect. Let's pray together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that none may boast. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your extraordinary grace and mercy to us. And we thank you that although we had no claim upon you because of our sin and rebellion against you, you have wonderfully lavished upon us your grace and kindness and generosity at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ in ways that we do not deserve. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be a people who are shaped by your grace. Help us not to boast and put ourselves over others, thinking that we have deserved your kindness and others don't. But please help us to be those who are gracious like you, wanting your grace to be poured out on others as much as you have poured out your grace upon us. Forgive us for the times when we have been jealous of others and have begrudged your kindness to them. Forgive us for the times when we have not cared for the salvation of others because we have been too comfortable in our own bubble. Help us to be those who not only celebrate your grace towards us, but that we might celebrate your grace to others and are willing to pay the cost to bring that good news of grace to those who least expect it and those who least deserve it. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.